And so I'm thinking, this is this is Jesus. Uh, and I, my spirit became hopeful because I th- realized I'm a part of a bigger story. If I think if our individual stories are just consumed with who we are, there's such small stories. I mean, even if we live a great life, and uh, I've always felt that we need to join our story with a bigger story, like a tributary that's joining a bigger river. I'm being carried along with Jesus' story, which is a much better story than just my little story. Today on the podcast, I'm sitting with Mr. Mark Foreman. Mark is a good friend. Uh, He's my boss. Uh, He is my travel companion. He is a co-producer on Iraq of Forgotten Hope and the host. And we're going to be talking about ministry, pastoral ministry. We're going to be talking about uh, what it's like to be a husband, a father to uh, obviously the band Switchfoot. Um, We're also going to be talking about what it's like to be a reformer. How do we be the hands and feet of Jesus in the toughest of places and what motivates him to participate in those tough things? And so I'm excited for you to listen along and join in on the conversation. Mark, thanks for being on the podcast. Honored to be with you. So, yeah, we've had Dave Eubank. Friend of mine. Jacqueline Isaac. Double friend of mine. And now you. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, you're batting third. You're cleanup. I'm I'm in the shadow of some pretty amazing people. (laughs) Well, hey, Mark, uh, today I want to talk about just three things. I'd love for just people to get to know you. Uh, I want to talk about your pastoral ministry. I want to talk about um, your family ministry. And I want to talk about you, Mark Foreman, the reformer, which everyone kind of gets uncomfortable about, but we view you as a reformer. I think um, you've been an incredible example, not only to me, but to so many on, on how to be the hands and feet of Jesus in broken communities, broken households, broken yeah. ourselves. Uh, and um, you've just been such an amazing coach and friend. And so thank you. And thank you for being here. Thank you. Though the honor's mine. Love to talk about such things. Yeah. And we uh, we made the Iraq film together. So I'm yeah. sure we'll talk about that. Spent a few hours together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to start with this question. And, uh, and this question actually comes from Rachel. Uh, and the question is, what uh, are the best steps for remaining a person of hope? So how do you remain a person of hope? You've been in ministry a long time. You've seen so much, been around so much heartache, so much pain. You've, you've participated in missions, activities all around the world. How do you stay hopeful and how does someone like myself stay hopeful? Yeah, it's a great question because the world's broken, isn't it? And out of brokenness comes discouragement, depression, and the loss of hope. Um, I think the simple answer, it's, it's more complicated than this, but the simple answer is to stay close to Jesus. Uh, and that's what I practice, uh, both in my private life, uh, every morning, uh, like this morning, building a fire, uh, Jan's still asleep, and it's just me and Jesus. And... Um, you know, Jesus is very hopeful. Uh, his, his words, uh, what he did when he was on earth, it buoys my spirit. So I, I get to see the world from his perspective one more day. Uh, the other thing is uh, his ministry. Even though it's a bro- broken world, we get to see a lot of lives fixed. Uh, maybe not perfectly this side of heaven, but marriages, 
broken bodies, broken hearts, uh, depressed people, we get to see them buoyed and healed and, uh, and become hopeful themselves. And when you see those stories, it just, it's just like lighting a fire underneath me. It's like, yeah, one more day. That's why I do what I do. So your spiritual formation looks like, every, is that every morning? Is that? It's, is it's, that a, it's every morning. Is it a, is it a, you've set a timer? Is it an hour? Is it 15 minutes? Uh, well, it, it varies. I mean, there's some days I, I wake up on the run, uh, but I'm an early riser. And um, if I can be alone with him or praying with him, with Jan, uh, it usually looks like uh, reading a psalm reading some portion of scripture this morning because it's Christmas time. Uh, I was reading Isaiah 9. Uh, he, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so I'm thinking, this is, this is Jesus, uh, you know, 600 years before he was born. And I, my spirit became hopeful because I realize I'm a part of a bigger story. If I think if our individual stories are just consumed with who we are, there's such small stories. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if we live a great, great life, it's a small story. And I, I've always felt that we need to join our story with a bigger story, like a tributary that's joining a bigger river. There's more momentum. And so when I have a bad day, an off day, I'm being carried along with Jesus story, which is a much better story than just my little story. Um, uh, then I spend time praying. I, I pray for people close to me. I pray for causes, issues. Uh, I've seen so many answers to prayer. I think that's probably the number one place we change the world is secretly alone. And um, it's because I believe in that. I, I just take my position every morning like a watchman on the wall. And I say, okay, I was praying for this. There's some issues I haven't seen answered for years. And there's mm-hmm. some things I see them answered in three days. Uh, so, um, and so that's kind of it. Sometimes it's a walk on the beach talking out loud like a schizophrenic. And sometimes <laughs> uh, it's quietly, winter times is more... Uh, you know, I I splurge and have a carbon footprint and uh, light a real fire. A real wood fire. Yeah, and there's something to that, tending a fire. You know, you just turn on the gas. You don't it's tend, cheating. It's cheating. You, you don't tend the I, fire. I commend you. I mean, I, yeah. I just that's unheard of in Southern California. Oh, yeah. I mean, and granted, cold to us is sub 60. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's light a fire yeah. temperature. So I think it was 49 this morning. Was it really? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, hey, um, I want to talk, first of all, let's, how did you get into pastoral ministries? I know your story, you're, you're a hippie, long hair, yeah. musician, yeah. Vita bus, surfer. You know, I, I uh, probably just out of curiosity, um, I, I became a theology major, sociology major in college, uh, the two most compl- complex uh, people on earth, humans, and God. <laughs> so that's been my undergrad and graduate uh, pursuits of who can know these things, you know? Um, and uh, in, in that pursuit, I was asked a couple times 
maybe a 19-year-old, 20-year-old, uh, I was asked to teach uh, in informal settings, mostly college students, and they seemed to uh, get something out of it. And, and I thought, whoa, that's, that's amazing. I kind of liked doing it myself. Uh, went into youth pastoring after that, uh, almost split the church that I was youth pastoring because all these young kids. As most youth yeah. pastors do, right? Yeah. All these young people are coming to church dressed improperly, and the, and the elders became upset with me. And, and I thought, wow, this is, this is tough work, and uh, went back to seminary. Uh, and, uh, but I, I love uh, seeing people's lives changed. Uh, if you're going to have an addiction, that's a good one. That's a great one. Yeah. So I've been doing it for uh, 48 years. Wow. And and you went on to get your PhD, and what was that in? In pastoral care and counseling. And counseling. Okay. It's in, it's in the field of psychology. Yeah. Uh, and but I was trying to figure out why are some pastors not so healthy? Interesting. And why are church systems sometimes not so healthy? And, um, and how do we, how do we change that? How do we change that? Well, my dissertation was about burnout among clergy and, uh, it was quite interesting. It, it was, uh, uh, quantitative scientific study, pastors, random sample in four different denominations, uh, looking at their burnout and their depression rates. Okay. And, um, and, uh, so and out of that, not the study itself, but then out of that study formed some theories as to how do we prevent that? How do we circumvent that? I think that there's some pastors that are prone uh, to depression, prone to burnout. And burnout is really uh, depression in the workplace. Right. And, uh, and pastors are not the only people that get it. It's school teachers, people in the helping profession primarily. And uh, so people that are prone to needing affirmation, needing base hits, needing, uh, and you find yourself in a church where you're not getting a base hit, either it's the board or the denomination that's kind of beating you up, uh, you know, you just kind of spiral down and you, it's like a batter going to the plate and striking out every time, Yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and the attrition rate is really, really high. Right. So how do we go the distance? Yeah. And, um, and I think it's discovering our gifts, making sure our ministry is, is matching up with our gifts. I think it's uh, surrounding ourselves with hopeful people. Yeah. Uh, I think it's um, uh, being in the right uh, church denomination affiliation where you want to do the same thing. And as a leader, for me, I think it's, casting the vision correctly so that at the front of your bus you're letting everybody know this is the part of town i'm going to right right and so anybody getting on the bus knows oh that's and and pastors haven't always been good on that they they're just trying to collect people they're just like a bus going through town would you please ride on my bus <laughs> and uh which is good but once they're on the bus for two weeks they start c complaining you know and and so i i and for me, it was really important that I be a, a a bus driver that wanted to change the world. Yeah. So if you're if you're not into changing the world, not your uh, bus. Yeah. 
find another church. Yeah. yeah. I know uh, Rachel's grandfather, my wife's grandfather, is in ministry and, and would preach on his tippy toes in his 80s. And I just remember being young, right out of Bible college, just going, anyone yeah. can preach on their tippy toes when they're 20, you know, with passion and, and fervor and they believe it and they're convincing. But I want to, I want to do it when I'm 80 and 90. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so it, it's so refreshing to hear people who are thinking about that because I started to sense that in my early thirties. I'm like, man, I'm getting tired. And part of it's just doing youth ministry for a decade. That's it's exhausting work. But there was something broken inside of me. There was a theology that I believed. I know how I'm saved. I'd never preach that you're saved by your works or your actions, but my behavior was totally different. There was yeah. something broken deep inside of me that I was ignoring and still trying to prove and earn favor with God. And I had to take sabbatical and, and sort it out. In fact, you were a big part of that, Mark, and moving here seven years ago. And um, yeah, and, and what I love about North Coast, uh, the church that you shepherd and lead, is that we have a counseling center. Um, yeah. And and so t- talk to us about that. I, I've never heard of a church having a designated place, you know, their own office, many offices, and, and actual counselors, not pastors, but counselors on yeah. staff. Yeah, yeah. We wanted to create a space that was kind of in between the- therapy and, uh, and church. And so oftentimes the church is a place where I want to go to pray, b- Bible study, be with other Christians, but you often don't show your brokenness. And you go back to Jesus, and Jesus was the first to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Yeah. The blessed are the broken people. Right. So brokenness is, is a thing to be celebrated, that you, through brokenness, we have an aha moment of who I am and who I'm not. And, uh, and then so to have a pastoral counseling center that allows a person to come in, whatever their, their issue is. I was talking to a person uh, just this morning who was talking to me about his brokenness, his shadow side, his whatever you want to call it, his sin. And um, it was so cool to see that he was able to get help uh, both through one-on-one but also through classes that we have uh, that, that he feels like, yeah, I'm ready to get back in the ring and, and to make a difference for God. Uh, I think in a secular setting, oftentimes it stops with uh, me just wanting to feel good about myself. And as humans, I think there's a higher bar than that. I think when I get to the step where I'm giving myself away to another human being, uh, that's when I feel like the image of God is shining the most. So we don't want to just get back to the 50-yard line. Right. We want to go ahead and score, and that scoring means helping somebody else. I love that. I love that. It, it's so neat that, you know, one of the things that you've communicated so well is is everybody should be in therapy. Everybody should be talking. <laughs> and that's kind of a stigma. I mean, not even only in the church, but I think in, in society. That like, yeah. oh, like, that's the hospital for broken people whose minds are messed up or something. And, like, no, like, we're all broken and I think society is finally starting to see that yeah. the church has theologically always ex- recognized that but I think it's that's been reformed and changed and yeah, yeah yeah thank you for and and I think the operative word is transformation yeah. that uh, twice in the Bible 
it uses that word metamorphosis, which is the word we use for butterflies, yeah. you know? And so we're all in this process of tr transformation. Um, I think it's, that's a bigger word than spiritual formation. Right. Uh, for spiritual formation is a great term. It's the most popular, but it, it kind of has a, a mold idea in like you're formed yeah. or a transformation is kind of unlimited with what you could become and, and what you, what God wants you to be. And uh, you never arrive this side of heaven. So that means there might be ups and downs along the way. Uh, I might have multiple uh, periods of brokenness of which lead to, a spiritual ahas and insights and redecisions that help me to redecide where I want to go, who who God is calling me to be, or what He's calling me to do, and and so we want to, as the church, celebrate all these little brokennesses and all these stages of transformation. Uh, otherwise, we become like a revivalist church that uh, says you get one trip to the altar. Yeah, at we celebrate because you're coming to Jesus, but if you come a second time to the altar, we gossip. Gotcha. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, we want to celebrate the second and the third and the 20th time yeah. that you're having a come to Jesus moment because those are the things that change your parenting, your, your marriage, uh, your business. Mm -hmm. I want to come back and talk about burnout. Um, how, what practices have you, I mean, you, you studied it, you did a lot of case studies. You you wrote about it. You were rewarded with a degree and you know and, and understanding it. So, what practices did you glean from that study, and what have you learned since then about preventing burnout? Yeah, well, some of those we don't have time enough to go into all of it, but I'll just uh, name maybe a couple, two or three. Uh, one is. Uh, to be in tune to who I am. Uh, and by that, I mean, uh, when am I full? When am I depleted? And how do I replenish my own soul? And for many people, it's, it's different. So if you have someone that's very social and they're an extrovert, they get a lot of energy from being with people. Uh, well, when they want to replenish, they're going to throw a party. Um, I'm not that way. Yeah. I'm right on the border between an introvert and an extrovert, and I can go. I can bat both ways. So after uh, a Saturday and Sunday, and I've been with people and people and people, I, I'm pretty depleted. So Monday is my alone day. Mm. I still study, uh, but I'm not with people, and I can feel myself. Come back know, to life. Coming back to life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another thing that replenishes my soul is being with unbelievers. Mm. I just love unbelievers. I I love doubters. Uh, you know, the staff knows I have this joke with them that uh, you guys get to counsel everybody, but I get to counsel communists, atheists, Muslims, and hardcore greedy Americans that are just, <laughs> you know. Uh, just just want money, 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 you know, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. I want the hardcore people yeah. that are cynical, that are somehow struggling with Jesus because I get energy from being with them. I, I am that person. I'm all of those people. And I've been there. And so uh, the doubting Thomas uh, that everybody bags on, that's me. Yeah. 
like, why would I ever believe? And so when I'm with those kind of people in a party, uh, surfing, just hanging out in our neighborhood, uh, I, I get energy and have the best conversations. And they often turn towards issues of faith. So cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel the same. I, yeah, I've always been, I get more excited about being away from church than sometimes I do at church. But I think that's a spiritual thing. Yeah. I think that's how God's created me. Exercise is another thing. You know, it's, it, I mean, that's just hardcore data. You exercise is one of the most basic things you can do to counter discouragement or depression, depression burnout. Uh, so uh, you'll find me in the water often. Yeah. Uh, just paddling out, you know, in a floating medium that uh, is different than walking, different than sitting. <laughs> and uh, and you're, you're, you're exploring the waves. And uh, when I get discourage my wife will often say don't you need to go surfing because <laughs> I, I come back kind of like a drunk man yeah it's 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 an it's a it's a legal high yeah that's so cool I, I remember we were surfing once and you had to go in but you you back paddled me on a set wave and you're like Joel I'm back paddling you and you you went around me and yeah took my wave oh yeah I just thought man that's so cool my senior pastor just cut me off and yeah I so snaked you totally, <laughs> but I looked at the shore and there was no camera, so I knew I could get away with it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, I want to talk about Mark Foreman, the dad, Mark Foreman, the husband. Uh, one thing that's really that you've you shared has really been impactful for Rachel and I is that you, you take Jan or you and Jan date twice a week. Yeah. Talk about those two dates. But the good news is if you stayed married long enough like we are. You can date like eight times a week. <laughs> Kids are gone. Yeah. You got a little more money and uh, it's pretty wonderful. So, yeah, but the two primary dates are uh, calendar and uh, and that's a business date. Yeah. We we, uh, we go to breakfast, uh, a place we like to eat, Claire's, oh, and, so uh, and we just get out our calendars. We order big, we eat big, and we... We discuss, and sometimes we only get through the week, and sometimes we go through the whole year. Because we have our differences mm -hmm. and our expectations regarding time and how we spend our time. And that was where we often got into uh, arguments. I didn't know. You didn't tell me. I thought we were, and, and you just complete the sentence, and there goes the argument. Um, some people have... Uh, arguments more about sexuality, some about spending money, some about the kids. Ours was always about scheduling. So we thought, what if we just took time to always know what was in the other person's mind and they know what's in my mind in terms of what's to be expected on the calendar? Bam! Our marriage was just suddenly amazing. So we do that regularly and then... Um, the second date is a true date and there's a sign on the shore of that date that says no dumping allowed. <laughs> so I'm with you all week long. Got a problem. We can discuss it. We need to deal with this issue, but I don't want to be blindsided on a date that I think we're just going to go out and we're going to talk about fun things and refresh in our romance. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be blindsided with, uh, some issue and uh, so we have no dumping allowed and we just have a ball we just go out and uh, 
I think romance is something that has to be worked for. You know, that we fall in love, but why do everybody fall out of love? Or their marriage just becomes like an old piece of gum. You can see it. You see marriages like, wow, okay. And, and we, we assume that after you've been married three to five years, it just becomes oh-hum. But it doesn't have to be. You just have to work at it. And um, one of the ways I think about my wonderful wife, Jan, is that um, she's still knowable. Mm, that's that good. There's parts of her that I haven't plumbed yet. Yeah. The depths. And if I, if I think I have, like most married couples, like I know her, I've got to figure it figured out, then it's kind of boring. Yeah. I mean, if you wouldn't go to a baseball game if you said, oh, I got baseball figured out. You wouldn't go to, I mean, it's the, the edgy excitement, the adventure that keeps us going. Yeah. And so we got to create those adventures in our marriage. Another thing we do is travel together. And, uh, you know, we couldn't always when the kids were young, but uh, more times than not, like we went recently to Croatia on our way to Lebanon. I was teaching in Lebanon to refugees, which is so wonderful. But before we went, we said, Croatia's on the way. What if we just have a week vacation in Croatia? It was, it was amazing. And you're, I'm seeing parts of her that I didn't know existed because we're in a different part of the world. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. That's really good. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it, it shows. I think that's one of the great sustainers in ministry as well is just having a spouse who yeah. is viewed as an equal co-minister of the gospel. It's not Mark's the minister and Jan's the supporter. No, you're in this together. And I think uh, I think that's yeah, so we, great sustainability. We've been married going on 47 and uh, we dated three years before that. <laughs> so that's that's a good. Long time to know someone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's encouraging. Um, let's talk about the boys. Uh, you know, you've you've raised amazing two amazing young men who are very well known. Um, how has that been for just your household? Um, you know, raising two young men who've who've started a band and now, I mean, they're they're world famous and. You're not world famous. Is there ever <laughs> is there ever jealousy with that? No, no. Um, I, I'm sure they're not jealous to be me. <laughs> and uh, there's no way I would want to be them. I'm proud of them. I love standing on the sidelines uh, and cheering them on. Um, I, I'm probably the only tension that exists is everybody's got busy schedules. Right. So trying to figure out when does Thanksgiving happen, Christmas happen, and Fortunately, in our families, that everybody's flexible, and we don't care about the day. So if you're traveling or I'm traveling, we'll we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, I'm very very proud of him. I I was just looking at a a photo. I was cleaning up my office, and I found the album cover of their fir very first album. So Tim is a senior in high school in that photo. And, and here we are, what, 22 years later. That's amazing. And uh, I think they're working on their 12th album. Yeah. And, uh, and what I'm so proud about them is that they are the real deal. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're not impressed with fame or uh, the, that, that whole thing. They don't trade in it. They, uh, they're just normal, regular people 
it's their day job it's what they do but uh they really are the real deal and so what you get on stage is what you get off stage and that value of authenticity it's true in our church it's true in their lives and i think it was true in our family that we want to be real people yeah so you 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 hear it in the lyric you you see it when you meet them and uh yeah it's pretty special I, I love... And they're great surfers. They are. And they're a lot of fun to be with. Yeah. I mean, the Bro-Am is such yeah. an amazing community event here. And um, yeah, <laughs> surf event, a concert, and half of Southern California turns out for it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, one of the things I, I love about uh, the boys' music is that just how thoughtful it is. I feel like music oftentimes is just kind of plug and play. Yeah. And you're you're writing a song to be a hit and I feel like there's a tension there that is is really well thought through. It's it's really theological. Um do you ever hear some of your theology in uh-huh. the music and go, "Ah." Yeah, but I I think um John and Tim go way beyond me into more thinkers like uh Kierkegaard. Do they come um, from conversations though that you guys have? Cuz I know you guys are so close. Well, yeah, we'll we'll go get a coffee, uh, go down to the local places and hang out, and we'll yeah. just. And we've always had that relationship that anything's possible in this conversation. Yeah. It can be philosophical, political, social, religious, uh, or personal, you know, and and it just kind of bobs and weaves, and it's all f- or, and then a lot of humor. Yeah. And uh, we laugh a lot. So cool. What would you, I mean, you've written an amazing book. Uh, never Say No. Never yeah. Say No. Um, it's a pretty radical statement for yeah. especially young parents yeah. <laughs> who seem like they're always saying no. Yeah. Um, but I, I love, you've been so helpful for, for me and, and my journey as a father to, to help me understand that my role as a father one of my roles is to is to help Liam and Leila discover the end of themselves because that's really where they'll see God is yeah. at the end of it and so um where did you see that come up with that uh, understand that uh I didn't see it in a lot of places um I think there's a, there's a, a a graveyard of preacher kids you know because uh preacher kids and missionary kids often see either hypocrisy or they see uh, God is the one who stole their parents. Which is so sad, you know. So how do you change that? And and so we just, uh, through a lot of mistakes, um, one was we decided to love more than we discipline. Hmm. And that's part of the never say no. Uh, I think kids, they want to bring themselves innocently to their parents. It's kind of show and tell all the time. Look at this. Let's do this. Let's do this. And, um, you know, growing up, I heard a lot of no's to that. Mm -hmm. No, I'm too busy. No, not now. No, no, no. And finally, you just stop coming to your parents. And that's the greatest thing in the world, that you would give birth to a, 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 a human being and, and have the opportunity to, to see them grow up and influence their lives and they yours. So why not say yes yeah. when they say, let's play ball 
why not say like you're great at doing that you i see all these pictures of you guys starting a new baseball team building a new baseball field and you keep saying yes yes and and i'm tired Mark. i know you're every tired. time my kids are yeah. like let's go play football it's like yeah you never say no never all say right no. all right i'm in i'm in i'm in yeah <laughs> because that's the way you build that bond yeah and uh of course there's going to be no's but say yes to the relationship yeah. say yes to the opportunities right. and then there's very few no's yeah. to the issues of discipline interesting yeah yeah that's so good yeah it, it's fun I, god is so good to allow us old guys to relive life again through our kids and you know like i've noticed that especially for me in action sports like skateboarding and surfing and snowboarding you know going to a mini ramp and which is like small and not that fun, all of a sudden becomes really fun because yeah. you see the fear in Liam and like, I don't know if I could drop in. I don't know if I can do it. And seeing him find so much joy in such a small thing or the, when the waves are just really bad and just like, this is the best day ever. Right. You're like, oh yeah, it is. And then all yeah. of a sudden I'm 12 years old again. And yeah. what a gift for yeah. an old cynical guy like myself to get to, enjoy the simple yeah. things again so I, so good and and if you ask yourself so what is what is the goal of parenting which ironically most parents have never asked mm. that question we all just thought wouldn't it be cool to yeah. have a kid <laughs> <laughs> so then you you'd be well what is my goal and and most people will say well i, I just want them to be happy yeah. uh, and you think wow okay some give them some more french fries you know <laughs> uh and they say, well, no, I, I, I want them to be successful. And that's a big one in America. Yeah. And that's sadly a big one in the church. Mm -hmm. Sadly. I mean, mm -hmm. oftentimes pastors will say, I just want to have a successful church. Right. Uh, well, the question has to be, so what does that mean? What is a successful, if it does that mean a lot of money, a lot of people? And you dig deeper and you say, well, no, it's actually that maybe my child would have a fulfilled life. But what does it mean for a human being to be fulfilled? Mm. And you dig deeper and you say, well, it probably have something to do with knowing their maker and maybe uh, loving others uh, more than themselves. And, and, and that's where it brings us to the edge of ourselves. Yeah. You talked about being on the edge of a, a skate ramp and, and just dropping in, at which scares me to death. <laughs> But that's the picture. It's like, okay, you're gonna, you're you're standing on the tail of your board, and you're gonna put your foot on the front of the board, and then here we go. Well, all of life is that way. Yeah. Uh, going to a different school is that way. Uh, dating someone is that way. Marriage is that way. Ministry is that way. And helping our kids to live there, you know rather than always backpedaling to the safe place. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, that's been my journey of, of helping believers live on the edge of themselves where I think uh, the oxygen is really high. Yeah. That's good. Um, okay. I want to talk about you a little bit more we've talked about you the father the husband the pastor um you you're such a participant like like you travel 
as much as your son's on tour, uh, you you uh, you travel a ton. You go to the tough places. You're not afraid of the tough places. Um, how do you go from being a spectator uh, to some of the world's most hideous and atrocious crimes and scenarios, and you know, uh, to being a participant of going? Okay, I, I want to be involved in in actually going and participating. How do you how do you make that transition? Yeah, I remember. A day I was in Edinburgh, Scotland, and uh, it was a church ministry conference. And um, it seemed like we spent all day doing nothing but just being religious. And uh, we broke for lunch, and I went out kicking cans in the alleys of Edinburgh. <laughs> I was screaming at God at the top of my lungs. Just every uh, beer can I could find, I just drop kicked that thing. And I just said, why are we doing what we're doing? Because yeah. life is so cyclical and mundane. And it not just applies to uh, ministry, it applies to everything in life. Like, So let me get this straight. You get up so you can go to work so you can do your thing and so you can go to bed and pay your bills and so you can get up and and it's not to say that we don't have uh, the mundane things in all of life they're there but we have to create the moments that take us to the edge of ourselves and ask so why did you sign up for ministry I didn't sign up for ministry to be safe or just to go through religious ceremonies or just take the offering or just sing another hymn. I signed up because I thought Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fish. We'll change the world. You know, that's what I signed up for. So um, and I discovered that that's what most believers signed up for. But then we go into this trance of watching the pendulum back and forth and before you know it we're just we spend our whole lives so how do we stay at the edge how do we well you can't you you know we all have day jobs we all have marriages we have families pay bills uh, but we do need to break out and have these refreshing moments that's dad that's why i do what i do so for me personally uh, uh going out to another part of the world. And sometimes it's just going over the border in Mexico. Sometimes it's just going down with the homeless in San Diego. And then, yeah, sometimes it's in the front lines of Iraq. Uh, but it, my eyes get really, really big. <laughs> and I realize, oh my gosh, I am way in over my head. Uh, I need Jesus to help me do this. And and it's that moment where I realize this is what I this is what I want to do the rest of my life. And uh, then when I come back to uh, my Clark Kent job <laughs> from being Superman for two weeks, I see my world differently. Wow! Uh, truly, the, the the parts of the world that I have visited: uh, Bhutan, uh, Cambodia. Um, South Africa townships, Sudan, uh, Iraq, I mean, all these places, and seeing how people bring Jesus to that community, yeah. to that population, I have ideas. And I was, oh, I could do that where I live. 
Yeah. What if I did that? For example, uh, so I'm in Cairo and I'm watching this thing called Kids Games. And, and they're telling me that they have 10,000 Muslim kids that come out through sports and they discover in a very safe, indirect way, the values of Jesus that leads to relationships with Christian coaches and eventually many Muslim kids discovering the love of Jesus. I thought, wow, could we do that in America? And I thought, oh, we couldn't because this is Disneyland saturated. There's nothing you can do to wow American kid, you know. And I, you know, some people pushed me and said, well, let's try it. And so we brought this thing, kids games back to America. And it's just been a huge hit. And, you know, seeing 40% unchurched kids. We have right. 2,000 kids a year come to kids games. Throughout like four weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it shuts down the church and in the summer. It, and instead of a bunch of moms that want to, no offense to moms, we love the moms, but finally we get the dads involved because yeah. there's a bottle, bottle rocket or there's a football or something. And, um, and to have 40% unchurched people discovering the love of Jesus yeah. in, a, in a relevant way, uh, it's phenomenal. So we learned that from our partners in Cairo. From the persecuted church, an area yeah. that's very persecuted. Very much yeah. so, yeah. We don't. We always. We typically have a mindset of <clears throat> missions being, you know, oh, we're going to be the participants of helping them, whether mm -hmm. it's finance, or financially or whatever. But <clears throat> I, I've learned from you that man, we have so much to learn yeah. from the persecuted church yeah. and the suffering church. Yeah, and and we would. The more we learn and and hang close to the persecuted church, uh, the healthier we would be in America. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we need them desperate. We are the blind, the wretched, the poor, and the naked mm. that need uh, that church. Yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk Iraq. We uh, we made a film, Mark. Yeah, that was that was fun. Yeah, you went four times. I went three. Yeah, I was figuring it out that I spent uh, over the course of three years, uh, three months, or no, <laughs> month and a half for me. Right, right. In Iraq, it was a big investment. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how did you come up? With that idea, I mean, it was a project that brought so many people together. I mean, <laughs> at the politician level to, I mean, you think of all the reformers that we yeah. brought together and, and just our friendship and it was it was a really unifying project. But how did how did it begin? A friend, Randy, uh, at our church, uh, he had uh, two workers that came to him who uh, were Iraqi nationality wise and they said, uh, and they were Assyrian mm -hmm. ethnically. They went to Randy and said, uh, genocide is happening to my people and nobody cares. And so Randy says, well, my pastor cares and uh, you should meet my pastor. And so they come to me, Randy brings it to me and, and they tell me the same story. And I say, well, I care. And they said, well, what do we do? And I didn't know what to do. It was, it was one of those moments where I was on the edge with my skateboard. And, I, and they said, what do we do? And I said, I don't know. Let's make a movie. And that way you have a, something that you can hand people. Yeah. And they said, great. How do we do that? And I said, well, I don't know. I have a guy that's friend that's made a lot of snowboarding movies. <laughs> snowboarding, genocide. Same thing. Hand hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, you. You go down the hill and kill yourself. Or <laughs> <laughs> so um, 
I asked you and you said, yeah, let's do it. And, um, and we just made it up as we went along. We, yeah. as you know, we had this amazing fixer, Robert, yeah. who just knew everybody he but the it. Pope and God, but yeah. you know, he made it happen. <laughs> he would be, we'd be like, yeah, we really want to meet with, you know, the, the archbishop or whatever. And he goes, okay, well, when do you want to meet with him? Like, well, normally the process is you go to him and he fits us in some 15 minute part yeah. of his day. And he goes, no, I, we can meet with him now. And he had yeah. so much leverage on so many people there. It was unbelievable. Oh, we, we, we <laughs> on multiple occasions, uh, met with the, the president of yeah. the Assyrian people yeah. twice with his cabinet. Yeah. We met with, well, they picked us up from the airport at three in the morning. Yeah. And dressed they up, led us <laughs> off of the plane into this other, and then we met with several bishops, some that were kind to us, some that weren't, uh, and, and the amazing uh, Pope of the yeah, Assyrian the patriarch. people. Yeah, the patriarch, yeah. Uh, so gracious to us. Um, and then all kinds of uh, pastors, uh, people in refugee camps. Yeah. Uh, the list goes on and on. One of my favorite stories was when we first went and uh we met with pastor kassan yeah and uh in erbil and isis was still close and threatening and uh, he goes yeah come by the church and we showed up and there was what probably 200 people outside the door and like and they were angry and they were they were muslim you could tell yeah and uh displaced people and and uh, just everything from our Western perspective was going, this is a dangerous situation. Yeah. A building with a cross on it, angry Muslims outside and a locked door. And he's like, yeah, just make your way through the crowd and we'll let you in. So yeah. we made our way through the crowd. And he goes, no, no, it's okay. We're about, we're about to let everybody in. And we, <clears throat> we, we uh, let them, actually, we give them a card. We don't just hand them food. We give them a card. We let them do the shopping. We give them dignity. And he just thought through the crisis yeah, and how to yeah. serve in such a unique way. But when we, when we did his interview, I'm like, all right, Pastor Kassan, we can film this in such a way that we'll, we'll silhouette you. We'll make sure that your voice is distorted uh, because we know how, you know, it, it's unsafe for you to go on camera. Like much of the persecuted church, we can't really tell their stories. It puts them in jeopardy. And he goes, he goes, Joel, he goes, don't you know, ISIS knows who I am. I'm the guy who works in the building with the cross on it. They can come get me anytime. And just that really kind of broke it open for me to yeah. see all the people we featured in the film of just going, you know, we're, we're not here to be safe. Uh, we're here to be an extension of Jesus in this very broken situation. And it's cool to see just a local pastor leading the charge. Yeah. yeah. And he did it in a way, as you said, with dignity yeah. where if someone just wanted food, they didn't have to listen to the message of right. Jesus. Most do, and but he allows everybody to enter at whatever stage they want to enter into, just like our own transformation. Mm -hmm. And it gives so much dignity to yeah. know that it's it's God's work, it's not our work, and we're not these pushy pushy, pushy right. people. And uh, and that was our journey, not only with Pastor Kassam, but working with the Yazidi people, mm -hmm. and. Um, with the soldiers on the front lines, just uh, that same respect and dignity that you hope Christ would bring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I loved about Kassan, he's just so laid back. Yeah, he's like, yeah, the world's burning, but you know, we're in each other's space, and let's have tea. And he's just mellow. You yeah, know, everybody yeah. else is a little tense, and he was just like, yeah, it's another day. And he's become a partner of ours, yeah. at our church, with our 
our whole missions program and, and uh, we loved to send support to everything that he's doing there yeah yeah what was uh what was one of your favorite stories about the whole project well actually one of the f- stories is not on film um, I have it on my phone but it's not in the can of, of these cameras but um, it's when we went to that very first IDP camp oh Badra camp yeah yeah uh, not Badra. Not Badra. But uh, where we we met, uh, I think his name was Joseph. And Miriam? A- Miriam. Yeah, yeah. It Was that Badra? Uh, no, you're right. Yeah. That was a different camp. Different camp that we couldn't get back into right. later on. Uh, but just hearing how uh, he, had, he had gone from being a Muslim to a Christian. Uh, his wife was going to leave him f- because of that. And then Jesus came to her separately. And she became a Christian and then um, their neighbors turned against them, and so they moved to another part of town. And um, and then ISIS came in, and the neighbors were turning them into ISIS, informants of, of informing ISIS about them. And God spoke to him uh, to leave, and they walked out, whatever it was, 20 miles, yeah. uh, right past the ISIS guards and everything, and into the safety, and now... There they are in this camp, and they're just loving on there. It's like a beacon of light out of yeah. this one tent in a very dark. And, and she's still wearing her head covering as a, as a culturally appearing to be a Muslim mm-hmm. because that's their cultural experience, which makes it safe for their neighbors to, yeah. to all befriend them. But they're, they're on their tent is a cross. Yeah. yeah, it's just so beautiful to see. I'm preaching on Joseph <clears throat> this weekend and just the courage, you know, like here's a guy who's ready to divorce his wife, yeah, you know, wife to be. And, and, uh, and then, you know, in a dream he's, he's met by God in a dream and, and it changes everything. And I always, I always thought like, Oh, okay. Well, wouldn't you second guess that? And, and meeting <clears throat> Joseph and I'm just going, man, you wait, you had a dream, woke up, and your wife and kids left you over that dream, and you were okay with it. That's how real Jesus was to you mm. in this dream. He's like, yeah, yeah. Mm. And then, Mar- then Miriam has the same dream the yeah. next night, and there they are. Just it's funny <laughs> the, t- the two names, huh? Joseph and Miriam. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> there I'm, it is. That's probably. I'm going to put that. That might be a good sermon illustration. Oh, it'd be great. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I gave it to you. <laughs> 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 All right, I've got a question for you. If you could go anywhere for a year, one year, to immerse yourself and learn something new, where would you go and what would you want to learn? Mm. Well, I just had lunch with some friends of ours who are uh, in the jungles of Peru. They started there when they were young and then eventually moved to the city as their kids needed more education. And then now that their kids are out of the home, they're going back to the jungles. And I just think, wow. So I do think about these kind of things. This is, you know, how do we end the way we started? Right. You know, uh, for me, I, I've always had an affinity to, um, the Southeast Asia, uh, and I, I think I'd find myself in Bhutan. Really? Uh, Bhutan is a, a country of like 800,000 people. 
completely Tibetan Buddhist, and um, uh, there's no poverty, but, but there's not a lot of wealth either. Um, and uh, I was meeting with one of the senators there once, and he there's only five senators for that tiny nation, and um, and they have a, a slogan for their country: gross national happiness. And they don't want things to come into the nation that don't provide for happiness for everybody. Oh wow! Because so because of that, they are are restrictive of Western ideas capitalism and Christianity so our discussion was um, that I thought that Christianity fit well under that umbrella slogan you know that we're we're all about gross gross national happiness <laughs> you know and uh, and I think I almost had him convinced and and I I would love to go back and kind of hang out there and live there uh, I I I'm intrigued by the Buddhist culture I feel like there's a lot in in the philosophy of Buddhism that is uh, parallel to Christianity, but it doesn't actually bring you to a person. Mm. It's just more of an idea. And um, <coughs> yeah, I I think I would that would be one place I'd go to. That's good. Yeah, that's good. All right, Mark, you got to pass the baton here. Uh, you know a lot of people, a lot of reformers, and, and that's what we're about here mm -hmm. is we want to we give the microphone to people who are really living it out and maybe don't get a microphone pushed in their face or a camera or, or article written about them. So mm -hmm. who, who should we interview next? Who, who's in your, who, share your Rolodex with us. Wow, wow. Uh, one person would be Hikmat. Hikmat. Hit, yeah, he's a... PhD New Testament theologian who pastors a church that's blowing up in Lebanon okay with refugees uh, mostly Syrian Muslims that have come to Jesus okay uh, I was there watching 31 new believers get baptized Wow and these are radical radical yeah. lovers of Jesus uh, that are living it but but Lebanon is a very dicey country right yeah. now with with Hezbollah and the influence of Iran all the way through Syria into uh, Lebanon and uh, the Lebanese really fighting for the, their democracy and Christianity trying to figure out and 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 there is this voice in the midst of it all yeah. Hikmah. all right um, another would be the couple I just mentioned Tom and Janet Wiest okay uh, go down into the jungles of Peru It'll blow your mind. I'm, I'm in. I mean, here's a couple that just, they left their city house all over again, and, and now they've moved back and built this tiny little shack in the jungles uh, trying to earn cred and, and uh, respect and, and let the, the, the locals know that they're safe so that they can learn their language and begin to share the love of Christ. Um, uh, another friend these are all three very very Man, different three for one all yeah, right yeah. keep going keep going uh, I won't mention his name because okay. I, I would need his permission but he is Syrian Armenian okay uh, one of his parents was Syrian one Armenian so he was raised in Syria and married a German wife and lives in Germany and his dream is to bring reformation 
uh, to Syria, and and he thinks it all begins in uh, Armenia. Really? So he's hosting this next year, this convening uh, in Armenia, where uh, one of the bishops from Germany is now traveling with him to Armenia t to repent. Uh, there he is. It's not this guy, yes. is it? <laughs> He's, you, already, you already covered him. Oh, my gosh. I was like, man, this, this story sounds familiar. Yeah. And it's... Uh, yeah, it's too late. He's published, so oh, his name's out there. But but the rest, what an amazing story. But it's not over. It's not over. Yeah, <laughs> the next part of the story is going to be more amazing. Yeah, I can't wait. Well, yeah. that's a, that's a big, you know, we I, I thought of this a long time ago, and the editors balked at it. But I thought, how cool it'd be to to end our our uh, our articles and never use punctuation, meaning that like the story doesn't yeah. end. It's going to keep going. So so because this guy's used. Give me one more. Okay. Man, four. Uh, okay, one more. This guy is Vikas, oh. and he is in, in India, and he is tearing it up in one of the top persecuted countries in the world. Yeah, yeah, uh, top ten. Yeah, and yeah. doing it in a very legitimate way. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, hey, this is for you, Mark. A little gift. Thanks for being on the podcast. A T-shirt, some stickers. And uh, hey, so cool. And thank you, Joel, for what you do. Thank you for uh, your ministry and your team here. It's a great uh, team. It's, I feel like uh, you're, uh, we don't have many things that are underground in America, but you know, underground is something that's so cool that uh, the above ground uh, hasn't gotten it yet. And, and I think you're right on the edge of, of where uh, the kingdom needs to be. So thank mm. you for what you're doing. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, hey, to, uh, to uh, maybe pick up a book uh, for the holidays, uh, Never Say No. It's a great book. Uh, Holy Jesus, another great book. I'm just going to, I'm going to plug it for you. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and tune in to North Coast Calvary Chapel on well, not this weekend, but most weekends. Uh, when, this when, weekend, you're <laughs> preaching, especially this weekend. <laughs> but, uh, hey, thanks for um, being such an incredible mentor and friend to me, Mark. You've, you've uh, you know, when I when I went on sabbatical, I had to solve that theological disconnect in my, in my mind and in, inside of myself. And I also was looking to connect um, humility and good leadership. I rare, I just... I'm a visionary. You know that about me. I have to see it before I can actually function in it. And and you've been for that for me. You're Thank you're a you. humble person. You're a great leader. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast today, oh, Mark. Thanks, Joel. <laughs>